Kia ora, Christian. Nice to see you. Kia ora. So, let's talk about some of the most effective strategies to stimulate preschoolers' language development. Sure. And we should put this in the context of a generation, generations now, with the distraction of that screen. Mm. And, you know, <laughs> the, the, the mirroring and the, um, the constant early contact between caregiver and infants that morphs into language development... Mm parents are looking at those screens too. Yeah. We really got to think about it, right? We do. And um, it's funny you raised that. I hadn't thought about... Um, the other day I was watching a parenting video on stimulating language development and they had a segment that I've never ever in 22 years ever seen and it was the effects of being on your phone and being off your phone with the child. And I know that that's obvious to people but it's now filtered into actual parenting advice. Um, and what they were really talking about was the first, which is the first of the strategies. So what I'm going to do is go through the strategies in the order, because if we run out of time, then at least you've heard the most important ones. Um, joint attention. That's the one of the most important things. So what we talk about there is we mean the attention between the adult, the child, and then the thing the child's interested in. And that the attention's following a triangle. It's going between the object, the parent, the child, the object. It's creating like a triangular pattern of interaction. And um, joint attention is one of the single most important um, factors for language development because without it, you don't have any joint reference, anything that you can both talk about to stimulate the language. And so how we stimulate joint attention is by following a child's interest. That's the easiest thing you can do. So you want to wait, which means don't just jump in, watch what the child's doing, get a sense of how the game's progressing and join in alongside them and start following the game with them. So don't jump in with language, just wait and see what it is in the game that's interesting them. So sometimes it can be there's a high point in the game, like the creature's climbing up the stairs and going down the slide, and the child's really enjoying that moment of tipping over into the slide. And that's where you want to pitch your language. Or thinking about my own house, our youngest is one, and his fascination is the cat, much to the cat's disgust but um anyway he harasses it and um and that is his point of interest and you know lo and behold one of his first words what's one of the first words anyone says yeah. cat cat what's absolutely the first thing we draw for a kid to, uh, yeah a, cat how easy to draw a cat yeah. well when you write down a word for a child to read cat cat it's so odd that we do this but anyway yeah. um, so this idea of what you're trying to do is line up their interest and in a sense their cognition their thinking with what you're providing in terms of the language so you're creating what they call stimulus pairing the the thinking is going with the language there's no ambiguity the child is able to begin to understand the label for this thing and um, then you need to do a lot of repetition so following a child's interest is the first bit the second part is imitation so you need joint attention to start with and then imitation and what i mean by that is imitation it develops through children um, watching adults imitate them so it's actually not the child imitating the adult of course because they have to develop the concept but the adult imitating the child so children in studies who have limited interest in imitation are usually at higher risk of language delays and uh, what we want to do is um, start stimulating this imitation right from the get-go. So the child babbles and makes a sound, you say it back. It's just that stuff that comes very instinctively. So children begin imitating adults around 10 to 12 months. That's usually around the, the, the mark. Um, and what we do is, uh, through play, is we're imitation. Um, so the play with your voice, but also play with objects as children get older. So children develop imitation with objects um, by beginning, they, they just get the object and they just use 
two objects together and then you can copy that. So banging the pot with the spoon, most basic. Number two, they begin to understand how to use an object. So a brush is for brushing the dolly's hair or your hair. And then number three, the last stage of imitation, is where they begin to pretend the object is something else. So, for example, they're picking up the block and pretending it's a phone because everyone's on their phone. That's a big cognitive step, yeah. isn't it? I mean, right. obviously they're seeing a lot of mobile phones, but that's a big leap Yeah. Uh, to imagine the object is Got something it. else. So mm. you can see their mm. cognition evolving. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we are doing is modelling these behaviours. So you're following the child's lead and then you're dropping into that interaction a new idea for them to possibly imitate and you're thinking about when you watch them and you think about their imitation skills where are they at with their imitation do they just want to bang the pot or are they holding the block up to their ear so once you see that kind of pretend play you're able to then venture into more pretend play um, then lastly the children who are not developing imitation skills very well this does happen Um, And it's not always a sign of autism. Uh, That's where everyone goes straight away. Um, Sometimes it can just be a sign of delayed development. So what we want to do, if you're a parent with a child who you feel is not very imitative, the first thing is just start copying everything that the child does. Just copy everything that they do so that they get flooded with this idea that they do it, you do it. So there's a reciprocity that starts to evolve. Then step two would be You copy everything that they're doing, but you start introducing tiny variations to see if they will follow your lead. Um, And if they don't, it's fine. Just go back to what they're doing. But every now and then, so if they are throwing a ball, bouncing it to you, and then you're bouncing it back, or you're finding the ball and somehow rolling it back to them, then try something different. Try tossing the ball into the air and see if they think that's funny and if they might imitate it. Then thirdly, you want to start, because you're trying to stimulate language, moving towards just gently starting to copy mostly what their face is doing and ignoring more of the extraneous um, body movement. So vocalisation. the face is the main connection, yes. communicating, obviously, communication, yes. connection. Okay. You are, you're trying to draw them into that uh-huh. dynamic of eye contact, vocalisations, and then facial gestures. And then lastly, what you want to try and do is get a reciprocity. So I do a funny face, you do a funny face. I do a funny sound, you do a funny sound. So you sort of build from, think of it as their whole body through to their face. Just the face. Okay, excellent. All right, now where are we up to? Uh, Gestures. Mm -hmm. So if we take joint attention, which we started with, so joint attention plus imitation in the context of play or daily routines, that sets the scene for language development because... We're engaged with one another through joint attention. We've learnt to copy one another. Now I can start to model things to you. That could become communicative. And often what parents will do, understandably, is they jump straight to a whole word. But some children just aren't ready for it. And how you know is by just think about your own child. How are they communicating to you? If they're not communicating at all, then you're going to start with but Yeah, gesture. Which is a big one. Done. Which is where we go yeah. next. Gesture. Right. Exactly that. So you want to start modelling gestures. Gestures come before talking, they develop with talking, and they are they are a predictor of talking. What are they? Apart from pointing, stop, maybe putting the hand up? Yep, so you've got... What else might be? Um, shaking your head for no. Yes. So that's one of the first ones. Yes. Putting your arms up. Yeah. That's for up. That's the yep. second yep. one that up, often up, comes yes. along. Waving, as you said. Pointing is a very critical one. We really love pointing. Pointing's a great gesture. Because pointing is often pointing at the something it is. that we're going to communicate about. And children who point quite early in their development generally develop their first word earlier. Because you can see what their brain's doing. It's thinking about objects. And it's trying to draw the environment's attention to an object. 
So those children tend to prosper well. One study looked at parents who did a lot of gesturing, and in particular pointing, and parents in the control group who did very little gesturing on purpose. And they looked at the language outcomes, and they found that the parents who did more gesture, not only did the children gesture as well, but also they went on to develop language a lot quicker and earlier. All right. Um, So... Lastly about that, um, so there's two types of gesture. So the first gesture is the point and label. The second gesture is the one that's really interesting and it usually precedes two words coming together, so the combining stage. And they call it a supplementary gesture, which doesn't mean anything. It just means you're adding another idea to the point. So you point at a glass and instead of saying, uh, you point to the water and instead of saying water, you say drink. So you're giving a function or something else about it, like a dog, and you say big, or a ball, and you say kick. So it's that idea of what you're modelling. Two concepts about the same thing. Yep, you're modelling two concepts, Mm. which is how two words come together, because they're just two concepts. Big dog. Big dog. So Mm. that's how children um, can start their journey towards combining earlier. And into a sentence ultimately. Got it. Mm. Okay, fabulous. Now where are we? Um, So then now, at this point, we're up to the point, I suppose, where strategy four is how do I build the language now that I've got joint attention, imitation, my child's gesturing. The first thing I always say to parents is to comment more. Don't question the child. They're not going to answer you. More times than not, they don't. Questions test and comments teach. Questions are hard when you're little. They are, because first of all... What do you want about? (laughs) Yeah. What do you want? (laughs) So you have to understand that Mm. the question is actually requesting Mm. information in the first instance. Mm. So many times children, when the parent will say things like, uh, what's that, or where's your shoe, or who's that? In the early days, you won't get much of a response. You'll just get a blank stare. So it's not that you shouldn't ask questions. It's just put more emphasis in the early stages on the narrating, the how commenting. How about something that they do get? Like if they are doing up, yep. how about you go up yep. and gesture yep. yourself? Yes. And then that's a way of I'm asking you. Correct. Yep. So you're using intonation. That said, carry on with what you're saying, which is but statement. That's a, but yes, but mm. that is a good point. And that is the earliest form of questioning is just through intonation alone. Mm. And children will start to pick up on the nature of questioning mm-hmm. through intonation. Then they'll learn about question words. So the commenting, uh, what we want there to do is for the parent to start to think, what is the child doing? What can I add into this uh, that is uh, a word or if they're not at the word level yet, a gesture, or even just a vocalisation, like what we call an exclamatory. So the little creature goes up the slide, and you go "wee" as the child go, as the slide, the creature goes down the slide. So you're just commenting, and children who are exposed to more commenting than questioning predictably pick up mm. on more vocab earlier on. Mm. So as a, as I'd say again, it's not that you can't question, but just think every time you go to play with your child, if you're starting with, which happens a lot, and it's not, it's no indication of bad parenting, it's for some reason, I think it's instinctive to us as parents to want to check our child's knowledge to allay our own fear. So we ask a question to start with. We get no response. We panic, and then we ask another question, <laughs> and then you get stuck in a yeah. vicious loop. If you just go, we, <laughs> <That's exactly laughs> things go much better. They do. So um... then um, the next stage would be pausing, and this actually is very important. So when you're in a language interaction with a child, you want to create space for the child to talk. Uh, a lot of times we fill that space, again, because we think we're teaching them a lot. So come down to the child's level. Uh, face-to-face with them and match your language to where they're at. They're at the single word stage, you're at the single word stage. And what you're going to do is just 
here's an easy way to do it. So you follow, remember we talked about joint attention, you follow what they're doing, you copy what they're doing, you model a word or a sound, then wait, see what they do. And then if they do imitate that, you praise them. So it's follow, copy, um, model or add in a word and then pause and then praise them if they if they follow you. And this is quite effective. Um, I've Ppausing would be one of the most powerful strategies I've come across with children in developing their Actually, language. in any communication, in adult communication as well. That, 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 uh, it's kind of a, um, again, it's a human instinct to sort of yeah. fill a void and... Um, but actually the pause is where all the action happens. Uh, but particularly for a young child who's taking time to even formulate what, they, what, they are, um, what they're going to respond with. That is true. And I've seen that actually sometimes with interviewers or journalists where the pause is just as powerful as a word. But the pause also, the human inclination of the other person is to then fill the pause. <laughs> exactly right. So it's serving a purpose. And, and But for the child, it's also it's just giving them time it is. to work out what they're going to do. Right. And it's telling that child that you are in this interaction with me. Mm. It's not a solo act. Mm. Um, and so let's talk specifically about that. So it would be, let's just say you want to stimulate the word more. You might get um, a biscuit, break it up into bits so that you can get a couple of goes at it. Give them a bit let them eat it and then you say to them more and you might gesture and there's the New Zealand Sign Language app which you can download for free from the app store uh, and that you just type in a word and then it shows you a gesture for it and it's not that you're going to teach your child to become uh, a sign user in the longer term but it is a way to reinforce what you're saying so that if they don't attempt the word they've got an action and then you model more uh, and then you wait before you give the biscuit. How children's brains work is the old saying that possession is nine-tenths of the law, which actually isn't true, but, um, but the point being, as soon as a child has their hand on the object, they own it, they don't need you anymore, Mine. their attention has moved, mm-hmm. it's theirs. Mm. So it's not really about learning anymore, it's become about possession. Mm. So okay. as the adult, what you want to do is be able to control that resource so you keep back enough or high enough from the child. You are trying to be down at their level, but if you've got a grabber, then you're going to get assaulted, so you need to be up higher. Whereas some children, uh, depending on their personality, will literally stand there, wait and watch your mouth. But the point is both can learn from the same strategy. So you model the word more and you wait, let them think about it, say it one more time, then give it. And give it even if they don't say more or they don't do anything. If you keep behaving this way, then over time the child learns. We'll get it. Yeah. And it's a sort of a nebulous concept really, isn't it, more? You can't point it and say that's more. You, you you're you're teaching a um, a value rather than a yeah. rather than a um, a thing. Speaking of which, I've got questions about yeah. Why don't we go into nouns and preschoolers? Sure. We'll come back in a moment. How do you support preschoolers to use the correct pronouns? My two and a half year old calls himself you rather than I. Ah uh, yes. So uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so children will progress through pronouns develop as you use your first name. So we call it the Gollum effect. So you walk around talking about yourself, and then number two, you begin to venture into your own pronouns. Um, so um, if you're using you, that's because what's happening is the parent might, which we do, it's very confusing. We say, do you or you want this? And so the child is being imitative and copying it. So one way to do it, and this might make you feel a bit strange, um, but you model it the way they would say it so that they've got a model to copy that works when they say it. One way I do that is I get a mirror and I say, I have, just for example, let's put two glasses of water in front of each of you. 
And then I go, I want a drink, and then I drink it. So that the child sees me doing it in the mirror, they've got their own glass, so if they're going to imitate the action, the language goes with it. I'm going to save the next question because it's on a different topic, sure. but let's just finish our um, processes. Sure, so um, the next one was, so the pausing leads to, we talked about following, copying, modelling a new word, pausing, then praising them if they copy it. The extending their language then, what you're doing, once you've got the interaction going, and let's just say that your child is a word combiner, so around about two years old, children start putting two words together. When they're at that stage, um, they're usually quite open to adding words onto that. So children at the single word stage can also add words, but two word users have realised words can go together, and they're pretty good at it. So what we do there, again, we mirror the child, we imitate, we add our word, we pause and we praise. So if the child is playing with the ball and they're kicking it, I would be modelling kick, kick ball. And if the child's saying kick, I start where they're at, I copy them and then I add my word. Um, and then the next stage after that is generalising, which is really important. So we want to pair the language with the child's interest in one context, but we want to strengthen that association between the gesture, the word or the phrase in another context. So we want to basically transfer their learning from this idea of cat is a narrow concept, it's this furry four-legged animal, through to a picture of a cat. Um, so you're starting to broaden it and looking at different types of cat. So it helps, why, why this is important is it helps strengthen the storage and retrieval yes. of the yeah. word. The yeah. richer it is and the colouring of it in your brain, the yeah. easier it is to pull. Yeah. So one example was our littlest, Jesse, who's one, who loves cats, um, he became obsessed with the cat, pulling on its tail and the rest of it, and then it was moving on from there into a real picture of a cat, a toy cat, to the point that it got so good that we were walking down the aisle of New World and he started meowing and I realised it was the cat food aisle. Oh, goodness sake. So he's really beginning to, uh, to put together through. processes there. And... Let's just finish the oh, sure. final um, stage. The last ones would just be be animated and fun. Children love uh, absurdity. Absurdity uh, teaches language much better than anything else. Yeah. So you want to work on that. Um, and so if you are having uh, man pain is very funny to children, they think that's really good, um, or putting on a silly hat or whatever you might be doing. Um, children find that really interesting. And then lastly, the last two are repetition. Just do lots and lots and lots of the same thing that you're doing to give them time to practice it. They call it spaced retrieval. So you do it in the morning, morning tea, lunch, dinner. So apple, morning tea is the real apple. Um, and then at lunchtime, it might be a picture of an apple. And then at dinner time, and it's the it's apple And then it's an core. iPhone. Sorry. You go. <laughs> Finally, back to where we started. Um, very good. Are we, are we through the... Uh, the last one's just to interpret. So when your child um, uh, engages in a communicative act, but no one really knows what it means, give a word to it. Let's come to this topic uh, another time. What are the speech implications for a two-and-a-half-year-old girl who still uses a dummy most of the time? Okay. But do you want to just give a quick answer to this? It's a contentious issue, dummies. We did actually do one on dummies about four or five years ago. We'll come back and do it again. We can do that. Mm. But first... Um, My first thing would be that often there's a lot of parenting guilt around dummies, and I have treated children over the years who use dummies and children who don't use dummies. The main thing about dummies is the pathogens that dummies carry. So you drop it on the ground, stick it in your mouth. Little kits, their <coughs> eustachian tube is quite flat in their ear. Uh. So the bugs travel from your throat down the eustachian tube and into your ear and set up an infection. So dummies can be a conduit for gluia. And also, if you've got a dummy in your mouth all the time, then the obvious, yeah. you can't use your speech as well. Wonderful as always. Thank you very much. That is Christian Wright.